Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on. Uh, as we've said, for the next several weeks, we're going to be going over the culture of Living Hope Family Church. Basically, we're looking at who we are as a church. If you ever wondered who we are as a church, this is a great time. If you haven't jumped on the website to look at what we believe, we're actually going to be going through a lot of that, uh, looking at the Word of God to describe why we believe what we believe. And this is a great way for you to learn about who we are as a church and what we believe and how we exercise that in our everyday lives. And today, we're looking at a very specific part of it. Today, we're going to learn that, that as a church, we are a people who walk by faith. And we talk about this as our culture because, uh, as Pastor Joseph talked about last week, culture is, is it's not something that, that happens by accident. It's not something that happens occasionally, but your culture is deeply ingrained in who you are. This, is, this isn't something that, that we do occasionally. This isn't something that we believe sometimes and, you know, when it's convenient, but this is who we are as a church, and it should influence who we are as believers as well. So today when we're talking about who we are, we walk by faith. We're going to actually go ahead and begin to break down what this means to walk by faith. Anybody ever heard that expression, we walk by faith? Anybody ever wonder what the heck that actually means? Sometimes we read stuff and we go through it so fast, we don't ever take a moment to think about what does this actually mean? What does it actually look like in our lives? It ends up becoming that Christianese that we all use. We say all the right stuff. But many times it's just words. We don't actually think about what's going on. So I want to talk today about what really is faith. Because there's, there's actually two types of faith that I see quite regularly. There's a worldly faith, which is based on experience. Matter of fact, you practice this kind of faith every single day. You go to bed every single night, and based on your experience, you have faith that the sun is going to rise in the morning. When you came in here, I guarantee you not a single one of you went like this before you sat down. Is it going to hold? No, every single one of us, based on experience, knows it's going to hold. Except for me one time, Michelle sat on my lap, the chairs busted out the back, and I fell on the floor in front of thousands of people. I'm serious. So I'm sitting on this plastic chair. We're in Bisbee in that big concrete auditorium. And I sat down in the chair because the chair's never broke on me before. I knew it was going to hold up. I had faith, sat down, and Michelle comes and sits in my lap. And it's one of those plastic, those white ones, and bam, the back two legs blew out. I hit the ground. The front two legs are still there, so I'm kind of sitting back on the ground. And she jumps up, acts like she wasn't even there. She just looks at me laughing. So everyone looks around, 1,000 people in this auditorium, they all think the fat guy knocked the chair over, you know, busted the thing out of the chair. But that's okay, I'm going to get up real fast, not a big deal, right? So I put my feet down, but I'm still on plastic. And every time I pushed to get up, the chair just slid around the concrete auditorium. I couldn't get up. I had to roll out of the thing. Most of you guys have never experienced that, so you sat down just fine today without worrying about it. That's the thing about worldly faith is it's based on our experience. But godly faith is based on the infallible truth of God. We put our trust in him not based on our experience because he's God. But then we have to wonder, if that's why we do it, where does it come from? What instills that inside of us? How do we grow it? How do we build it? And really, if we're going to put our trust in something, in the Word of God, in God, we, should want, we need to know, is He trustworthy, right? That's a question you should ask if you're going to put your faith in somebody. Are they trustworthy? 
Is he is who he says he is? Is he going to do what he says he's going to do? And then I want to take a look at today what that actually looks like in our lives. One of the things, and I don't think I'll mention it today, but James said that uh, you show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And nothing to do with you have to have works to be saved. Salvation is strictly based on your faith in Jesus. The thing is, is if you have a, 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 a saving faith, a faith that results in, in being born again, it changes something inside of you. There's evidence for that. So that's what James was saying. Is like, you say you have faith, but I look at your life and I don't see it. But you look at my life, you can see my faith. Because we need to walk it out. Amen? So let's go ahead and get started. What is faith? Hebrews 11, 1 through 2 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and for, and for by it the people of old received their commendation. This is what the, the Bible says faith is. You know, the, the dictionary, when you look up the word faith, is kind of interesting. I started researching this some years back. and In 1982, just two years after I was born, this is what it said. Faith is the firm belief of God's testimony and of the truth of the gospel, which influences the will and leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. Isn't that an amazing definition. That was in 1982, Webster's Dictionary. You want to know what it says today? Belief in God or in the doctrines of teaching or religion. I really messed it up over the years. Watered it down a little bit. You see, the 1982 uh, reference was quite a bit closer to what we're saying up here. We start talking about faith. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This can also, this, this assurance can be translated to substance or subsistence of things hoped for. It is the very foundation of our hope. It's, it's what our hope stands on. Without faith, which is the substance or the the assurance that our hope is nothing. That's what differentiates Christian hope from worldly hope. You know, we we get up in the morning and we're going to the beach and we hope it doesn't rain. Or in Arizona, we get up in the morning and we hope it's not 800 degrees outside. But there's no guarantee of that. There's no assurance in that. We just hope. But biblical hope is different because it's not like it may happen or, or it could happen or or even that it probably will happen, biblical hope is based on a foundation. It's based with an assurance. When we hope in Christ for salvation, we're not throwing the dice up and with a pretty good chance, but there's a, a guarantee on the other end of that kind of hope. But without faith, without trust in Him, that biblical hope is, faith, is, is, is worthless, is meaningless. Otherwise, it's just hope like everything else. Many other religions experience this kind of stuff. They, they hope if they do enough of the right things, and when they get there in the end, it's going to weigh out better for them. Matter of fact, a lot of, a lot of non-believers who, who think that they're good people, they hope that when they stand before God, their goods are going to outweigh their bads. It doesn't work that way. The funny thing is, 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 is that it doesn't even work that way in our own world. Like, can you imagine... If you got pulled over for speeding, and you're like, sir, officer, don't you under- I know this is bad, but don't you understand that I've been helping the women's shelter every Saturday for the last 10 years? How many of you think the police officer is going to go, 
Oh, well, in that case, that outweighs the bad. You know what? I'm going to just wipe away the ticket. It doesn't work that way. And that's a minor infraction. Certainly someone who's done something uh, dangerous or you've, you've killed somebody, can you imagine going before the judge? But I've worked at the food kitchen every day for my whole life. But you murdered somebody. They don't balance each other out. I forgot to remind you guys not to distract me. That's not even in my notes. We've got a lot of stuff to get through today. If you had any idea how many slides I got back there, you would just be letting me preach without distracting me. I can tell you that right now. I'll be here all afternoon. Then it goes on to say it's a conviction of things not seen. Now, this is an interesting one. This is where people call Christians crazy because we have a conviction of things that aren't seen. Do you remember when, when uh, Elijah... Uh, was was came up, had that widow come up to her and her son had died and and he asked her is everything well and she said all is well. What a weird response when her son had just died. He says is everything okay? Oh no, all is well. Was she lying, or did she have a conviction that there was something else? I think Elijah sent his servant at that point because he knew it was about to, he was about to get. It jumped all over. He's like, I'm going to send my servant to get a little buffer between me and her. She's not a happy camper. But she said it's all well. Was she lying? I don't think she was. She believed that God could move. There was something more. See, that's the thing is we always hear that, that anybody ever heard, you know, I can't believe you have blind faith. Anybody ever heard that? People say it about Christians, it's just blind faith. And I'm like, man, I agree with you. Blind faith is stupid. You shouldn't have blind faith. I think it's ridiculous. But as Christians, we don't have blind faith. We have an assurance. Matter of fact, we have our faith is based on something that is more solid than you can ever imagine. It's not blind faith. One of the reasons why it's for Christ's Bible study. Because as Christians, we should know that we're, we're, we're not believing in something that's a, that's a myth or a legend. or We're believing in something that is real. Jesus actually came. He actually died. He actually rose again. Our faith is not placed in something mythological, but something that is real. It's not a blind faith. There's plenty of evidence for it. Now, we don't believe strictly based on evidence. Jesus told Doubting Thomas, you, you see and you believe. Blessed are those who don't see and they still believe. There's still an element of putting your trust in things not seen. A con- but it's, there's a conviction. It's not a blind faith. I gave you a brief example earlier. Right now, half of this country is convinced that the government can save them. Their faith is placed in, wrong, in the wrong place. Some years ago, when we had the bottom fall out of the economy, how many people placed their faith in the stock market, in their 401k? Do you guys know how many people committed suicide because their 401k plummeted? Their faith was in the wrong thing. Some of you guys are so worried about it, what would happen if you lost your job because your faith is in your job and your employer. When the truth is, is that we go and we work like we're working unto God, and if something happens, we lose our job, then we continue to trust God. He'll make a way. He will provide. And that's the thing about faith is without it, it's impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, it is impossible. It doesn't say unlikely, just in case you guys were curious. It says impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If you want to please God, you have to put your trust in him. Nothing else will do it. 
If you don't put your trust in God and you come to church every single Sunday and every single Wednesday, you don't miss a Bible study, it doesn't matter if you don't put your trust in Him because it's your faith, your trust that is pleasing to Him. In Hebrews 10, 5 through 6, it says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Sacrifices, offerings, are not pleasing to God. He's pleased for our trust. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our inequities like the wind take us away. You guys want to have some fun? Look up what the, the word translated to polluted garment actually means. That's what our good, righteous deeds are like to God. Without Christ, without trust in Him, all that stuff is worth nothing. That's why Paul said in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul had done some good things in his life. If you hear and in other scriptures, he says that as far as as, as being a Jew, he was without, without blemish. Basically, he said, I was pretty much perfect at it. I didn't make a mistake. I, didn't, I did everything right. He said, but I would count all that as loss, all those good things I've done, all those right things I've done. I, would count, I counted all as loss that I might gain Christ. Because all of that stuff is nothing without faith in the one who gave everything to you. The truth is, is our religious ceremony, it just doesn't cut it. It just doesn't make a, a difference. Not doing anything bad and not sinning, not what is pleasing to God. Don't hear me the wrong way. I'm not saying that it's okay to sin. The truth is, is you were saved so that you could live a holy life. We are called to holiness. We're called to righteousness. You weren't saved to do whatever you wanted. You were saved so you could live the life that God called you to live. Free from sin, not free to sin. But the thing is, is that when you live that life, it's not, you're not sinning. That's what's pleasing to God. It's your trust in him which is actually allows you to live the life that he calls you to live. It's not about keeping score. It's about believing that he is who he says he is, and that he'll do what he says he'll do. But Christians would have an amazing uh, just testimony, and I believe that we could win this world so fast if all of us would just be crazy enough to believe that he is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says that he'll do even when it seems unbelievable. I mean, you see stuff that happened in the Bible that's supernatural, it's miraculous, but we're so convinced that it can't happen today that it doesn't. Because we're afraid to put our trust in Him for those things. But if we're going to put our trust in somebody, we have to know, is He faithful? James 1.17 says this about God, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow do to change. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on around us in our lives that is evidence of his faithfulness. One of my favorite stories is about a little boy who is repeatedly told to go walk. He must live in my house because my wife is always about clean hands. And I'm like, let the kids play in the dirt. They'll get some immunity. She's like, no, just let's dip them in sanitizer. But this little boy is constantly told to go wash his hands because there's germs on his hands. Constantly told. And 
Finally, his mom walked in on the bathroom, and he's in there. He's all angry. His hands, and he goes, germs and Jesus, germs and Jesus, germs and Jesus. It's all we talk about in this house, and I'm not seeing either one of them. But the truth is, we have seen Jesus in our lives. We see him all over the place, every good gift that you have. Man, we are blessed in so many ways. And I, every now and then, I'll, as I'm praying, I'll take a step back and actually look at what God has done in my life. And I, I find that there's blessing at every turn. I mean, if you guys live in a, in a decent house, really any house, you are so blessed. And you, I look around at what I have. I have a nice house. I have cars. I always have plenty of food, as you can tell. I always have uh, my family is around me. My wife is amazing. She really is. Oh, no, I talk about you all the time when you're not here, so you don't have to worry about that. But I have an incredible wife. I am so blessed and thankful that I have, uh, that God gave me a woman who will walk alongside me in faith, do what we're doing here. And she's always there. I look at my life, and I am blessed in so many, there's so much evidence for God in my life. Because I have so many good gifts and perfect gifts in my life. Because he's faithful. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? How do we determine if something is trustworthy or something is reliable? How do we know if it'll stand the test of time? How do we know if somebody loves us? How do we know these things? We see the evidence for it in our lives. I know my wife loves me because she hasn't left yet. There's evidence. I don't know why, but I thank God every day. You see, God has been faithful to me my entire life. I see the evidence over and over again. But I trusted him before I saw the evidence because I figured if he's God, he has to be faithful. He has to be trustworthy because if he's not, he's not God. But we see, we serve a God who is so faithful. But as we get to that step, all right, we know that we need to have faith because that's what pleases God. We, we realize that if we, we don't even have to step that back. You can rely on your own personal experience with God to understand that he is faithful. Even in the times when you're like, what is God doing? Jo- Pastor Joseph talked about it this morning. You ever wondered, what the heck is God doing? But it doesn't take too much time before you go, oh, now I see. Because he's faithful. But if that's the case, if God's faithful, where does this faith actually come from? Romans ten seventeen. we've all heard this. This is one of those Christianese things that we've, we've all heard and we all say, but maybe not spent too much time on. But it says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is what Dwight Moody said. He was a preacher and evangelist in the 1800s, for those who don't know. But he said, if all the time I have spent praying for faith, was put together, it would be months. That's him saying that I was actually asking God for faith. He says, I thought that someday faith was going to come down and strike me like lightning, but faith did not come. Then one day I read in the 10th chapters of Romans, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. Now I opened my Bible and began to read God's word, and faith has been growing ever since. If you want to grow your faith, you have to spend time in the word of God. It's the only way to go up because how are you going to know what is God if you don't know who God is? 
You need to learn about what God is, who God is, what are the things that he's going to do so you begin to see who he is. And it's grown by hearing and reading the word of God. This is something that I experienced so acutely in my life. When I first went to Living Hope Family Church in Tucson and met Pastor Mike, he, it was the, the most different experience that I've ever had with any Christians in my entire life. He extended grace to me. He extended love to me. Even when I was in my sin, he didn't, he didn't judge me or cast me out or push me away. He just loved me and encouraged me to spend time in my word. And I found that after time, it wasn't that I was trying to do the right things. It just started happening because my faith began to grow. God began to have his way inside of me. I began to learn who he was, and I began to learn who I was in him. And that began to live out in my life. And it wasn't about being told what I could and could not do. The truth is, if you want to know what you can and can't do as a Christian, ask a non-believer. They'll tell you exactly what you can and, not, and can't do. But if you would just go ahead and begin to spend time in your Bible, and let faith grow inside of you, you'll begin to see a change in your life. Our faith doesn't grow just because somebody tells us to believe. Our faith, uh, I can lay out all the reasons why faith is good, why you have to have it. But if you don't actually spend time in your word, that's actually why I use so much scripture when I preach. It's because my words aren't going to do anything inside of you. You need the word of God inside of you to find fertile soil and produce fruit. I do my best to help explain it in a way that people can understand, that maybe they can walk away with something and see things like they've never done before. But if I did it without putting the word up there, I would just be a motivational speaker. Because our faith doesn't grow because people tell us to believe. How many of you guys like testimony? Haven't you heard some amazing? Did you know that there's not a single testimony that's told that's going to save anybody? Your testimony while amazing, and I would encourage you to share it at every opportunity because your testimony will open up opportunities for you to share the word. But then when you begin to share the word, share the gospel, what God says about them, then, then that can produce faith in them to believe and to be saved. But our testimonies don't save anything. They don't produce faith. Teaching anything other than the word of God doesn't produce faith. And the thing is, is that faith that, that rests on the wisdom of men is not faith at all because it's a brittle creation if you come to this to, to this church to put your faith in me i got news for you i'm gonna let you down i'm gonna mess up faith in in me or the words that i say that aren't the words of god is is worthless but faith in his words is what makes a change inside of us it's what causes us to grow to mature in him and there's only one enemy of faith. It's kind of like the opposite of faith, and it's unbelief. Matthew 13, 55 through 58 says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother's called, mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there. Because of their unbelief. Belief. Belief. They didn't believe that he was who he said he was and that he could do what he said he could do. And they actually limited his ability, Jesus' ability in his hometown to do, to do many miracles. It says he could do 
only a few healings because those were individuals who still chose to believe in him. And they were able to, to see their faith manifest in their life through healings. But they limited Jesus' ability to do work in his hometown. The thing is, is that we can limit God's ability to work in our own lives as well. God is not out there trying to force himself into your life. He's not out there trying to, to, to act like an unwanted stalker in your life. He wants you to love him. He loves you. But he's waiting patiently for you to trust inside, in him. He's waiting. And, and when we don't put our trust in him, then he's unable to work in our lives. Not because he's not strong enough or not because he's not capable, but because that's the, the, the rules that he set up for himself, the guidelines that he set up for himself. He's not going to infringe on your free will to not trust him. He's not going to infringe on you, you not wanting him in a certain area of, of your life. And when we begin to doubt, we begin to limit what God can do. It's just like the story of Peter. He got out of the boat. He began to walk on water. How amazing would that be? To walk on water. He got out and he's doing it. He's trusting God. He says, Jesus, is that you? Yes, it's me. Come. So he starts walking, but then he gets to Jesus. The storms kick up a little bit. Things get a little hairy, and all of a sudden, no more trust in Jesus anymore. And he begins to sink. And Jesus says, Why did you doubt? See, that happens to us all the time. I see it in, in, in people giving all the time. They'll get, get on track, they'll begin giving regularly, they're trusting God, but all of a sudden, you know, maybe the, uh, a bill comes up, air conditioner breaks down, something happens, and they decide that, that nope, no more trust in God. I've got to take care of this thing first. They begin to doubt that God can take care of every single one of their needs, no matter what it is. And they begin to back off. And they begin to sink because the storm got a little bit crazy around them. I see it with people being healed all the time. God will do something. They'll, they'll, they'll begin to see improvement in what they're dealing with, and they'll wake up one morning, and it seems like it's coming back, and their faith is shattered, and, and no longer is God able to continue working in that area. And then so many of us wonder, like, well, Pastor Wayne, it's super hard to believe today. You just don't see it happen as often, which is, I would argue, is because people don't believe it can happen. But if I, man, if I lived back then, you would see how much faith I would have. If I could see Jesus doing miracles, I would never falter. I would have faith like you wouldn't imagine. Because I could see it with my own two eyes. And, and I, I would never tell that to the disciples after Jesus died. And they all fled. Peter denied Jesus three times. He saw everything Jesus did. Yet he doubted. You see, the thing is, is, is seeing it is not going to make a difference like when you go out and if you've ever had somebody that you're you're trying to minister to and they're being ornery and you're talking about how oh well you think god is all powerful well well have them make that rock float right there and it never happens because the truth is is if god did it if god said you know what rock is floating in midair right then they wouldn't cause them to believe they would spend the next four days figuring out how i somehow did a trick to make the rock float Seeing isn't what produces faith. It's spending time in His Word and making a choice to trust Him even when everything around you says something otherwise. And faith is powerful in our lives. Matthew 17, 20 says, For He said to them, Because of your little faith, truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. 
That is an amazing promise. Nothing will be impossible for you if you trust in Him, if you have faith like that of a grain of mustard seed. And I think this verse is interpreted wrongly so many times. I don't think it means that if you have an itty-bitty-bitty amount of faith that you can move mountains. The truth is you can't if you have an itty-bitty-bitty amount of faith. But he doesn't say if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. He says if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed. And here's what happens with a grain of a mustard seed. It starts out itty-bitty, but then you plant it, and then you water it, and then you cultivate it, and it grows up to be over 10 foot tall, something that is so small you can almost barely see it on the tip of your finger if it's cultivated, if it's grown, if it's taken care of. It grows to be something that birds can land on, a 10 foot tall, almost tree trunk looking plant. It's huge. And that's the thing is, If your faith is like the mustard seed, it's okay to start out small. It's okay to start out with a little faith. That's what we all did. Start out with a little thing. Maybe trust God to heal your headache. Put your faith in Him for the little thing. Trust God that He's going to get you to church on Sunday and make a way for you. And even when stuff gets in the way, you say, nope, God's made a way for me. I'm going to go anyway. Little thing. And as you do that, you're, you're, you're exercising your faith. And it's just, like any, it's just like the muscles in your body. If you don't use them, they atrophy. But if you use them, they grow bigger and stronger. And eventually your faith begins looking like that of, of the mustard tree full grown. And when you have faith like that, then you can move mountains. It's an incredible thing. My faith has been growing ever since I started. You know what I started with? The, the, the biggest, and it's my strongest area of faith. And we talked about it a little bit this morning, but when me and Michelle decided we're going to give our lives to God and we we're just going to sell out and do, do everything for Him, the first thing we did is, is we started giving regularly. And every month, no matter what, we were going to tithe. Even if I couldn't make the rent, even if I couldn't get groceries, if, it doesn't matter, we were tithing. And God was so faithful, and money came out of everywhere to make sure that we were always taken care of. And even today, because that's where I started with something little, and it's grown so much. And I just told you a story now where, we, where God almost immediately blessed us for choosing to invest in somebody else to give. We started small, though. I certainly didn't have the faith to start a church when we got going. I fought it for a couple years. But if you'll start small and begin to grow it, you'll be amazed at what you can have faith for in your life. Matthew 21 21 says, and Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown to the sea, it'll happen. If you guys remember that, there was a fig tree on the side of the road. It should have had figs on it. It didn't. So Jesus cursed it. Seems like a weird miracle. Why would Jesus do that? But the thing was, is that the Jewish law at the time said that if, uh, uh, the, the stuff on the outside of your property, you didn't take the figs. Jesus said it, wasn't yet, it didn't have fruit, in it, but it wasn't not yet the time for figs. It didn't mean it wasn't time for them to be growing. It meant it wasn't time for harvest. They should have been on the tree. And what happened was is the, the owner of that field went and, and even took the stuff off the edge that was supposed to be for the homeless and the widows and the barren, those that needed help. And they went and they, they, they went and took all the figs and didn't leave anything for anybody, even though that according to Jewish law, it should have been there. So Jesus said, Fine. If you don't want it there, it won't be there ever again. And that's why Jesus cursed that fig tree. But he says, 
If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown and see, it will happen. I've heard stories of Christians banding together and turning the tides of hurricanes coming in towards cities. Our faith is powerful. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The greatest, most powerful thing faith will do in your life is make you born again. It'll make you brand new. The Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, which means that he was traded places with him. Now, just in case you guys were wondering, Paul wasn't actually crucified with Christ. Not physically, but by faith, every single one of us has, because our old man was crucified with Christ, is dead and gone, and we have a new life that's inside of us, which is represented which is what we do with baptism. That's what it represents. We die with Christ. We raise out the water because we're brand new in Him. And Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He says, in the life I live now, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. By faith, we're brand brand new. Our old life has passed away. We're holy, holy, we're perfect, we're pure, and we're redeemed. And faith is how we step out into what God has said about us even if our spirit which is our 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 uh, mind our will and emotions even when i'm sorry our soul our mind will and emotions tell us something different it doesn't matter because jesus says something else even if our friends and family tell us something different it doesn't matter we live by faith in what he's accomplished inside of us even if our past tells us that's the most damaging thing to people's faith all the time i think is their past tries to rear their its ugly head and remind them of who they used to be and they forget that they're not who they used to be anymore by faith. Even if the devil accuses you of something, you're not who you used to be by faith. You live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God and it's Christ who lives inside of you. And here's what we talked about earlier in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It says, For we now walk by faith, not by sight. See, this is an interesting thing. This is that conviction of things not seen when we trust God, even when it doesn't look like what God is doing is happening. And I see it all the time in my life. And like Pastor Joseph said, like, God, what are you doing? Are you, I, let me tell you how I would do it. You know, this is, this is why that when I pray for people for, for, for healing, I say, you know what, if you wake up in the morning and you're still seeing symptoms, it doesn't mean that you're not healed. Continue to trust God. Because there is a difference between facts and truth. That's the thing is we, we wake up and we look and the fact is we might still have a cold, but the truth is that we are healed. The fact is, is that we may have lost my job, but the truth is, is that God will supply all my needs according to his riches. The fact is that I feel alone sometimes, but the truth is God will never leave me nor forsake me. And the facts say I feel unclean, but the truth is, is that I am the redeemed of Christ. There's a difference between facts and truth. Facts change. Truth doesn't. And that's how we can walk by faith and not by sight. If we, if we let our, our sight influence every single thing, that we, would ne- we could never have faith. Because the world is always trying to tell us something different. 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. 
You want to overcome the world in victory? You do it by exercising your faith. Because the world is always knocking and temptation is everywhere. The sure as heck hasn't gotten any easier with the internet. It's knocking. But we overcome these things by faith, by putting our trust in Him, understanding that He's accomplished something inside of us. And we overcome the world by having faith that we are healed, even if our body's trying to tell us something else. Even if the doctor says that there's no way out, that there's no hope, we still have hope in Him. We have faith that we are victorious, even with something that has beaten us down over and over and over for years. It doesn't mean when you fall that you're not victorious. The fact is, is you've had a setback. The truth is you are victorious in Him. Faith says that we're more than conquerors. We're not even just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. Faith that we are loved. So many people walk around this world with no hope, feeling like everybody hates them, everyone's against them, they don't feel loved. Maybe they had a dad who treated them poorly or, or a mom that treated them poorly and they don't understand how anyone could love them, but God loves them more than they could ever imagine. They're more valuable than they could ever imagine. And they need faith to understand that because the evidence in their life has said something completely different. And we have faith that we're forgiven. If you can't trust God that you're forgiven, then you're in a bad place. And we have faith that we're saved. What I love about our God is He made it so we could know that we were saved. It's an assurance of that hope. And our faith is what secures that for us. You know, I think we would all be better if we could have faith like children. This is one of those verses that that, that threw me for a little while. It says, Truly I say to you, whatever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Luke 18 through 17. What the heck does that even mean? If you've talked to my kids when they were they didn't understand anything. They just want to go around making fart jokes. What, what does that mean that I'm supposed to have faith like them? And then I finally saw it with my son. And he came up to me. This is the one that that I remember, and if you've been here a while, you've already heard this story, but I, it's what opened this scripture up to me as my son came up with a toy, and he had broke it good. And he, he walks up to me, he's probably three or four, maybe five, and he says, fix it, Dad. And I looked at it, and I couldn't. There was no way I could fix what he had done to it. And I don't even remember the toy to this day. I just remember it was so broke, there was no way I could fix it. And I said, son, I can't fix it. It's broke. He says, no, you can. He was convinced that I could fix it. And that's what God said, this is what childlike faith looks like. You may decide that you can, but he knew that I could. Probably the first time I let my son down, because I couldn't. But that was the kind of faith that God is looking for in us, a faith that says that no matter what the world is saying, no matter what else is saying, no matter what is going on, no matter what's happening around us, my God can do what he said he can do, and he's going to do it. You also see it in kids. You ever seen kids that just let, let, let people launch them up in the air? And what kind of faith do you have to have for somebody to do that? Or like when you have a kid standing up on, a, on, on one of the playground uh, things or a, a wall and you just stick your arms out and they just leap off the edge because they trust you wholeheartedly to catch them. That's the kind of faith we're looking for, a faith that doesn't down even for a second. Children rely on their parents with unbridled trust and faith, and that's how we should rely 
on God. I know I'm going a little bit long. Man, I'm not doing well with these messages lately. I just want to go through and show you a couple things in the Bible that, that, that shows an amazing faith. Is that all right if I go a little bit longer? In Luke, sorry, in Matthew 15, 25 through 28, it says, But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Faith is what caused this woman's daughter to be healed. But why was her faith great? Because she believed Jesus could do something that the doctors couldn't do, that nobody else could do. She believed Jesus would work despite things saying otherwise. Now, this is an interesting case because you know who was saying otherwise? Jesus. That kind of reminds me of when my son came up to me and said, Dad, fix this. And I said, I can't. He said, yes, you can. She's like, Jesus, fix this. He's like, I can't. She says, yes, you can. She had faith in him. She had an understanding of who he was, probably greater than anybody else that was around him. And while others thought he was just a carpenter, she knew he was something more, and she put her trust in him, and she wasn't taking no for an answer. Luke 7, 6-9, we see faith in action again. Jesus went with them when he was not far from the house, and the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And he turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Only two times that Jesus marvels in the Bible, two situations. Great faith and lack of faith. This is one of them. He says he marveled at how much faith this guy had. You see, when this Roman officer spoke, he expected to be obeyed. There wasn't a doubt in his mind that if he told one of his servants to do something and one of his soldiers to do something, there was not a doubt in his mind that it would get done. He didn't ask the soldier to do something and check up on him four or five more times. He knew that when he said it, it got done. And that's the kind of faith that, that God is looking for in us. That when we pray and when we say it and when we trust Him, then it gets done. The truth is, is that we're all men and women under authority. Therefore, we have authority. You see, that's the thing about authority is that it has to come from somewhere. When a police officer pulls you over, his authority comes from the state and the lawgivers of this state. And when we stand against something or when we we bind something, or when we pray for something, or when we, we ask God to do something. We're not doing it of our own authority, but we're doing it in the authority that He's given to us. Which, if you didn't know, is great authority. And Jesus said that we would do even greater works than these. I'm excited to see that. Jesus rose people from the dead, and we're going to see greater works than these. Now, I trust him. If that's what he said, we're going to see it. Jesus rose one person from the dead. I don't know. Maybe one day we're going to be raising tens of people at a time or hundreds of people at a time. I don't know what it is, but I trust that what he says is true. And I don't know when we're going to see it because we're going to talk about that in a second because faith requires patience. 
But I trust him and what he said. I believe what he says is true. Here's, I think, the other enemy of faith. Unbelief, but lack of patience is the other thing that kills your faith more than... And the, really, they, they go hand in hand. The reason we lose patience is because we begin to stop believing what we've prayed for, what we've trusted God for. Hebrews 6, 11-12 says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Two things you need if you want to inherit the promises. You need faith and you need patience. But if you don't have patience, you end up acting in unbelief and there goes your faith and you don't get either one of them. It's like if you were to... to I remember when I was a kid, I used to have this uh, plastic... I think it was like a cricket container or something when I had uh, uh, lizards and stuff when I was growing up. My mom was... I look back now, I'm surprised she let me have the stuff in the house that I had in the house. But it was a little plastic container and I'd put dirt in it and I would put corn seeds in it. And I used to always love, they never got out of the container, but I loved watching them grow from, uh, from, from corn. My mom would buy, I don't know if you know this, but if you buy the old popcorn that you pop in, the, in, in oil on the pan, like those will actually grow. So I took those corn kernels and I'd put them in there and I'd water them and after a few days they would end up breaking through the surface. surface and you would see the plant growing. I thought it was amazing. But sometimes I would get impatient and I wouldn't wait long enough. And then I'd go, What's going on? How come it's not growing? Why isn't it expected? And I would go in there and I would dig it up. But the problem is, is that once you dig it up, once I expressed that lack of, of patience, it would never grow again. You couldn't just put it back in and it would be okay. You essentially killed what was going on. And that happens so much in our life. God is working behind the scenes, but we don't see it. And we begin to wonder, is God actually moving? Is God actually there? Is he going to do what he says he's going to do? And we go and we dig it up. And we stop trusting. And we, we, we limit what God wanted to do for us. I think that's most of the reason why, why as Christians we don't receive is because we give up. You know, he's Pastor Wayne, I was praying for this, I was believing God, and well, how long were you believing? For like a whole day, and it didn't happen. I don't, I don't think God hears me. I, I waited for like, I said, come on. Abraham waited 25 years for Isaac. I've never believed that long for anything. You think that's bad. God came to Noah and said, hey, I'm going to make it rain. And he says, what's that? Well, the earth's going to flood. I need you to build a boat. You know how long it took for the rain to come? 120 years. You You haven't exercised patience like some of the people in the Bible have exercised patience. So if you're trusting God for something, if you're believing God for something, if you're putting your faith in Him, don't give up after a day or a week. I tell you what, when we planted this church, I expected it to be a lot bigger by now. Actually, I was probably a little prideful and egotistical. I figured when I opened the doors, I'd be beating them off with a stick. I'd be the one that was different. That didn't actually happen. But I'm going to continue trusting God because He put me here for a reason. And just because it doesn't work the way I expected it to, and it's funny because you look back in your life, and I realize why, why we didn't grow exponentially fast right away because we weren't ready. We would have collapsed. The church would have died instead of grown to where we are today, continuing to grow each and every, every, every week. I see, you know, I thought God wasn't moving, but actually he was preparing 
the leaders of this church. He was preparing the people of this church. He was getting us ready to have more people come. And that's the thing. James 1.3 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's not working out those muscles. Sometimes you've got to work them out. You've got to continue exercising your faith and know that he is faithful. It will come to fruition. And we'll go ahead and end here today, Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. I love that, that expression. Having done all to stand firm, stand firm. This is brilliant. I don't know if you guys get this. First, you have to do everything to be ready to stand firm. Having done all to stand firm, then what do you do? You actually have to stand firm. You have to stand and keep doing. He says, having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of, breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. How many circumstances? All circumstances. You guys know what that means? That means all the circumstances. Take up the shield of faith in which you can, actually the Greek word translates to all the circumstances. So take up the shield of faith with which one you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Why do we take up the shield? Because it protects us. And it extinguishes all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Once you've done all to stand firm, which is all this stuff, we need to stand firm. We need to stand ready. We need to not back down, not give up. Because there is somebody out there that is trying to extinguish your faith, who's trying to steal it away, he's trying to steal your joy. And it says that, that this is what the shield of faith does. It extinguishes all the flaming darts of the evil one. What are those flaming darts? Accusation, calamity, sickness, brokenness, hurtfulness. Living in the United States today. But see, that's the thing. The picture this is, is building is that of a Roman soldier. And a Roman soldier would have a shield that covered them from head to toe. They were protected. Our faith is like that. Church, I would encourage you not to back down, not to walk away, but to stand firm in your faith. It'll protect you. It'll guide you. It'll help you get through whatever you're going through. And that's who we are, church. This shouldn't be something that we, we do every now and then, but it should be the culture of who we are. It should permeate every single part of our being. That we would go ahead and walk in faith. Amen?